Welcome to Quit Bleeping Around, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve more in life. Here's your host, Christina Eanes. Hey, Super Achievers. For this episode, I'm interviewing Luke Chow. Luke is a leading Canadian hypnotist for the past 15 years who specializes in helping others develop healthy, resilient mindsets and attitudes to perform to the peak of their potential. Welcome, Luke. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Well, I am excited about self-awareness, mind over matter, our topic today. But before we jump into it, can you share a little bit about your background with our listeners? Sure. So I'm a professional hypnotist, also known as a hypnotherapist. I've been doing this my entire adult life. So when I was 23 in 2006, I opened my practice. Right now, we're recording in 2022. Um, Almost 16 years later, I'm still doing it. And when people hear the word hypnotist, they have all sorts of stereotypes as to what the heck it is I actually do. So I'm going to summarize how I see the work of a hypnotist. Um, Essentially, what my clients are seeking out and what they're paying me for is for me to be speaking to them while they listen carefully some attitudes and perspectives and ways of thinking that are going to help them in their situation. So sometimes when when you think about therapy or traditional psychotherapy, it's usually the client who does all the talking while the therapist kind of listens and facilitates and encourages the client to come up with their own perspectives. Hypnotherapy is quite unique in that the client's doing almost all of the listening while the hypnotist is doing almost all of the talking. It's a very different paradigm. It's under the idea that if, if you look at the thinking of someone who doesn't have the client's problem, so say the client is stressed because they put a lot of pressure on themselves for work, we'll kind of look at um, a hypothetical ideal person who has the same line of work, but better work-life balance, and we'll try to model um, based on uh, our own experience or books and biographies or um just past work with former clients, we'll try to model ways of thinking that we can borrow from the more relaxed person to communicate to the client. So I see my work as kind of continuing a tradition of philosophy in the sense of wisdom for living a better life and also storytelling. Um, So I'm kind of in the business of instilling better attitudes or higher quality thinking. And I think it's because it's such a different paradigm from what people are used to that hypnotists fulfill a rather unique niche in the wellness or um, mental health uh, field at large. I love that. Well, and, and you're very aware of obviously how the brain works, right? The, the conscious, the subconscious, uh, which is perfect to lead into our topic on self-awareness, mind over matter, essentially today. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about how the brain works before we get into, in relation to this, before we get into self-awareness? Yes, absolutely. Um, well, so 
There are a number of different academic disciplines that approach the question of how the mind works from different perspectives. So psychology has one perspective. Cognitive science has a different perspective. Neuroscience has a rather different perspective. Psychiatry has a different perspective still. <laughs> so it, 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 it's a huge question. Um, I'll share with you the perspective of a hypnotist. Um, and you do have to keep in mind, this is informed by the work that hypnotists do and not necessarily the various academic disciplines that try to study oh, the mind. So um, we, we, we very much believe in mind over matter, as you've mentioned. Mm-hmm. And um, another way to put it is that the mind-body link is very real. So the quality of the thoughts you hold in your head will be affecting the way that you feel in your body. And invariably, it's impossible to imagine something terrifying without feeling uh, at least some anxiety in your body. Um, It's also impossible to imagine something very relaxing and grounding and calming without also then feeling it in your body. And and often the mind-body link is is under-recognized, but... Any of your listeners can kind of do that exercise of either imagining something terrifying or something soothing and noticing an immediate reaction in their bodies. Yeah. And um, what this means is there is such a thing, I would suggest, as high quality thinking that's worth keeping in your head and heart. There's also such a thing as lower grade thinking that isn't worthy of anybody. I would, mm, yeah. I would also suggest that each person can already figure out what is a worthy thought and what's not by asking themselves, is this an idea you would want to share with a child for them to adopt as a worldview? Or is it an idea oh. you would speak to a friend for them to kind of contemplate? And if the answer is no, it's not a good idea for other people. It's also not a good idea for you. But if it is a perspective or, or, or a thought or a worldview that you think is good and healthy and wholesome for a child or a friend or a colleague to have, it's also going to be helpful for you to adopt as well. So, you know, this, sometimes I think we, we kind of grow up trying to weigh every perspective and opinion and thought equally. But there is such a thing as thinking that causes unnecessary suffering. And there's also such a thing as thinking that makes better predictions about the future so that you can navigate the world more effectively. So, yeah, much of what I try to do is I try to help the client fill their own minds with what I've described as higher quality thinking. Where, um, for example, uh, if, if they have stress or anxiety, they're often thinking about things that will not come to be. And I describe that as um, suffering unnecessarily. Um, yeah. But if, if you predict that tomorrow you're going to be even more capable than today, um, if you predict that tomorrow the world is going to keep turning on its axis and your family is still your family, your friends are still your friends, your home is still there, you're probably going to be right. Yet. Often people neglect the reassuring truths or the comforting truths, and they put their minds on things that aren't. And um, 
you know, the, the message I want to communicate to your listeners is you don't just have to sit with the thoughts about things that aren't. So either aren't anymore or aren't yet. Um, it is possible to kind of, you know, bring your attention to or, or, or find grounding in things that are uh, like your aliveness. That's something you can't really take for granted, but many people do. Um, Like, you know, your best friends being your best friends, that's something you can find much comfort in when you bring your attention to it. I'm describing gratitude, of course. Um, I was just going to ask that. Yes. (laughs) But but as, as you know, people who are grateful for all that they have are happier. So gratitude yes. is an example of higher quality thinking than, um, you know, if one were to neglect all the good things and put a spotlight or a magnifying glass on the problems or everything they don't have. So I, I don't know if this really answers the question of how does the mind Absolutely. work? Absolutely. No, this huge, is awesome. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> no. I have a very practical take on how do we use the mind to create a higher quality of life? How do we use yeah. the mind better to feel more comfortable in our own bodies, to interact with others more effectively, and to achieve the goals that we have? And, you know, you might say, well, I'm a hypnotist. This is just what I do. But in my opinion, it it is in certain attitudes being accepted as a matter of fact, and then other attitudes being abandoned because you may have picked them up in childhood. And, you know, your listeners, I would assume, are predominantly adults. And the way you would treat yourself as an adult inside your head is going to be very different from the way that you used to treat yourself as a child. And I yeah, find myself. We would hope anyway. <laughs> we, we, we would hope. But I, yet, I, I often find myself saying to men and women who are 40 or 50 who are quite accomplished, and when they're about to present to the board of their company, they feel like a 13 year old presenting in front of their class. Or yes. they, they look to others for validation without recognizing they've reached a point in their lives where their self validation is well informed. Yes. So. These are some more reassuring truths that I I think are worth keeping in one's head and heart in order to to live a higher quality of life. Oh, absolutely. If if you want, I can go through a list of other foundational beliefs or thoughts or attitudes that I think everyone should have. Okay, fantastic then. Let's do it. Okay, awesome. So the, the two I've presented are that there is such a thing as higher quality thinking. It's not just all relative. Universally, human beings who are grateful, for example, are going to be happier than human beings who are not. Um, yes. The second idea I've presented is that the mind-body link is real. So it, you, you, you do kind of owe it to yourself to be mindful of what you're keeping at the forefront of your mind. The same way you're mindful of how you speak to a friend or colleague when you're giving them feedback, because we know words can hurt people really badly when we speak them to others, but we forget words hurt ourselves badly when we're unkind toward ourselves. And it's unhypocritical if your inner dialogue starts sounding like what you would say to anyone else. It's to uphold a single human universal standard if you treat yourself as kindly as you treat other people. Okay. So yeah. the, 
the, the next foundational attitude, and I'm sure most of your listeners have heard these attitudes before. So the next few I'm going to kind of speed through before I get to the ones that seem to strike people as new. So sure. the, the next one is um, a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. Oh, yeah. So the, the fixed mindset... Um, kind of treats human beings as a coming out of the human being factory at the age of 18 or 25 in a fixed way. And they're like that basically forever without any kind of adaptations as the years and decades progress. A growth mindset presupposes instead that we're lifelong learners and we don't stop learning at, at 18 or 21 or 25 or, or 30 and, and that we are capable of adapting to changing times. We are capable of taking to heart experiences we have and we can grow. So at least we, you know, might put in the effort to, to, um, to, to grow now. Um, it is true that there are some personality traits that kind of stay stable over time, but there there are so many other attitudes and perspectives and worldviews that do change based on changing circumstances. So th- this is how we can be in the 21st century and think like 21st century human beings, even though we were born in the 20th century. But all of us <laughs> can probably think of people who seem to be stuck in the 20th century because they never updated their worldview, even as the world changed around them. Um, The the, the next foundational perspective or, or I guess, um, way of operating in the world is internal versus external locus of control. Now, Mm. what this refers to is how we attribute um, the the cause of the things that happen to us. So um, if, if you have an internal locus of control, then when things happen to us, good or bad, we believe that we are the cause of it. But if we have an external locus of control, um, we kind of attribute the cause to external factors. Now, in reality, it's both. So, yeah. you know, if you quit smoking and then a friend offers you a cigarette and you take the cigarette, it's both the external and the internal um, factors that mm-hmm. end up you know, causing you to smoke the cigarette. It's just that some people are predisposed to blame the friend and some people are predisposed to take responsibility themselves. Um, I, I would put, you know, when it comes to weighing these two perspectives, I'll put my finger on the internal locus of control as the more helpful perspective. If, if, if we're looking for mm. um, high quality thinking, recognizing that even if you don't control everything, there is much you can control. The cigarette that's offered doesn't have to be taken. Um, You know, that's the more helpful way of thinking. Now, uh, I'm going to get to some points that, um, you know, that you may not have heard from other guests or have have read in books, but that I am saying over and over and over again. And when I say it, it kind of seems elementary, like as, as a very basic rule for living, but it just seems to be not said often enough in the world. And one of them I alluded to earlier, which is that it's worthwhile to look for the reassuring and empowering truths. So, you know, whatever is happening in your life, whatever's happening in the world, there are going to be some scary truths. There are also going to be some scary possibilities that are not 
yet true. And there are going to be reassuring truths or empowering truths or inspiring truths or life-affirming truths. Um, so even if I'm working with a client, for example, who, who has cancer, and the reality is they're battling cancer, and the most likely outcome is that they're not going to be long in this world, there are still, nonetheless, reassuring or empowering or life-affirming truths to hold in one's head and heart. So one of them, for example, is the truth of their aliveness, or the family members who've gathered around them, or their ability to enjoy another sunrise or another springtime. And, you know, one does have some say in which thoughts they hold in their heads and hearts, um, especially once you accept internal locus of control as a helpful way of seeing things. And it does create a higher quality of life if you're grounded in the reassuring truths and the empowering truths. Um, it's not just to be grateful, um, but it, it's also recognizing that, that, that something like your aliveness or your family are matters of fact. Um, it just is so often we neglect or we take for granted what's matter of fact, and that our minds go to what isn't. Um, w w one other perspective that I seem to have to say over and over again, I kind of alluded to this earlier as well, but it's that um, for the most part, my clients and your listeners are real, legitimate adults. Often in their hearts, even if they're 30 years old or 40 years old, often they, they, they kind of feel like a grown-up kid, which in a way we all kind of are. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but none of your friends or colleagues really see you as a child, right? Like if you're in a relationship, yeah. your partner doesn't see you as a child. They see you as the man or woman you are today. Your colleagues, your, 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 your clients, they see you as the person, the adult you are today. It's, it's only because each of us can think back to our childhood and the stupid kid things we did back then. But sometimes we feel like a kid. But th that's why I keep having to point out to different people, they're actually a real adult. Their opinions <laughs> count. They're fundamentally an equal to other adults. They're fundamentally an equal to the people who used to be their teachers. In the eyes of the world, they're fundamentally an equal to their parents, and they will often have a more informed perspective than their parents do. So they don't automatically have to defer to their parents like children do. So this, <laughs> yeah. this is why I have to say it, because many people throughout their lives will defer to their parents. Yeah. Yet they may be better informed by current perspectives and worldviews than their parents are. So... Um, being a real adult um, means you have an adult <laughs> conscience and adult ju judgment. It's quite liberating, isn't it? Um, I know. Just to feel like to feel like a kid when you you know when you're like forty or fifty is quite stifling. But it's yeah. not the truth that you're a child. It's you know you're the same age as you know you might be older than than when your parents first gave birth to you. Um, so you are a real adult. Um, this also means you get to disagree with other adults. Um, and you, know, you can feel <laughs> that sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes they're terribly wrong. Um, and it also means that you're obligated to put on your own mask first. 
So that's a reference yeah. to when you board a plane, put on your own mask yep. first. Because often we kind of take care of, of others. And, you know, maybe we hope in our hearts that someone will come along and save us. But no, you, you have to put on your own mask first. It, it's wise and compassionate to take care of your own needs, including the emotional needs. It's not selfish. It, it adds to the life and happiness and love in the universe. If you are fulfilling all of your needs yourself. Um, and the, the other point that seems to strike people as very profound, um, which means I'm, I'm saying it to, to many different people, is that it's unhypocritical to uphold a single universal standard for human worth or human dignity or human deservedness. So when you're hard on yourself, but kind to others, you're upholding a double standard, which actually you don't have to. Um, when you put others first and you hope for someone to come along and save you, but you know, then no one does, you don't have to do that. Um, to uphold a single universal standard for the words you'll pick to communicate or to correct someone. To pick, to have one universal standard for um, how many breaks a person deserves in a day or whether someone can enjoy the good things in life guilt-free. Um, one universal standard is unhypocritical. It's not selfish. So um, I, I, I have been doing this for a while, which means that there are many other things I could say, but th those are some of the most common foundational perspectives and attitudes that I find myself saying to quite accomplished people who become my clients, where on the outside, no one would see them like a child. And yeah. yet behind closed doors, they reveal that they kind of look to others for validation, even though they're the speaker behind the podium. Or yeah. they'll, they'll reveal that... Um, they kind of feel incapable of handling life or they fear what's going to happen in the future because they distrust whether in five or 10 years they can still handle things as they have their entire lives. But that's, that's why I have a practice. It's to ground <laughs> people in the reassuring and empowering truths. I love it. Yeah, I find that a lot in my classes too. It's like when we get into topics that can be, you know, where people have to be pretty vulnerable, like emotional intelligence and self-awareness. One of the things I have found much like you just stated is people realize oh, we're not alone. Other people have these thoughts and they feel this way. Precisely. Yeah. So, so many people <laughs> compare their, their inner worlds, their insecurities and their doubts with someone else's Instagram feed or LinkedIn profile. Yeah. It's such an apples yeah. to oranges comparison. But pe yes. people tend to do this. Yet yeah. when people open up, you realize an apples to apples comparison of your inner world with someone else's inner world actually means you hold up well. Um, just yeah. like if you do an apples to apples comparison of like your carefully curated Instagram photos with someone else's carefully curated Instagram photos, you'll hold up well too. <laughs> it's only, it's only the double standard of, you know, comparing yeah. your inner world with someone else's carefully curated presentation. Th that's yeah. the unfair thing that, that people don't have to do. 
Yeah. They need to remind themselves. Yeah. So yes. now I know uh, hypnotherapy is a great way to instill these, uh, we'll call it higher quality thinking, just all of them really, right? Um, so that's a great way to do that in a quick manner. What about for those that maybe can't access uh, hypnotherapy? What are some suggestions for them to to instill these beliefs uh, so that it results in different behaviors and habits? Well, most people who change their perspectives and habits do so without hypnotherapy. So ah. most people would talk to their friend. Some people will have, say, a, a, a priest or a religious counselor they, they, they talk to. Other people go to the library and they'll they'll read books. Other people browse the internet. Maybe they'll watch YouTube videos. Um, so it, um, essentially what they're, what's, what someone does when they seek out good ideas to accept as their own is they're kind of doing what I do for my clients, but in a self-directed way. So it's not just hypnotists who come up with good ideas worth keeping. Obviously, the whole self-help book industry is about giving people good ideas about how to live a higher quality of life. Um, there are many philosophers whose books have been translated to many languages and have been basically imprinted in one form or another for hundreds or thousands of years. That's another source of, of good ideas. So I, I almost never read hypnotherapy books anymore. Primarily, I'm reading philosophy books when I'm mm. looking for high quality thinking that I could adopt for myself or high quality thinking that I could communicate to a client so they have a higher quality of life, I'm usually reading philosophy. So oh, wow. the, the public library is a very good resource. Please avail yourself of yours. Um, obviously podcasts like, the, like, like this one. Um, yeah. your, your, your guests have different careers and um, they have different perspectives and you kind of draw out of them some of their better ideas. So I, I definitely don't want to communicate in some way that hypnotherapists have a monopoly on good ideas or that you can only <laughs> learn not. new attitudes through hypnotherapy. It is a way to kind of hire someone to think on your behalf and communicate in a way that kind of makes sense and is easy to accept. But yeah. a very good author, a very good public speaker, um, even people kind of sharing essays online, you know, are essentially choosing vehicles for higher quality thinking that people can avail themselves of for free. Yeah. I love that. Well, and if people are interested, can you share a little bit about your products and services? Yeah. Um, well, the, the first resource I'll point people to is my YouTube channel, which is Morpheus Hypnosis. And I'll post many uh, random thoughts I have. I'll also post once in a while free hypnosis sessions where I'm saying things like what you heard me say in this episode today, but within the context of a hypnosis session where the client's asked to turn inwardly and then accept those ideas. Um, and there's even a crash course in how to hypnotize your friends. So my YouTube channel, Morpheus Hypnosis, is probably the first source if you want to hear more of what I have to say. Um, if you are in a position to work with me privately, um, it's best to reach me through the Morpheus Clinic for Hypnosis. That's www.morpheusclinic.com. 
they can request a consultation. And um, if at the end of the consultation, they ask me to look at their case, then I can write them a treatment plan, which will be a list of attitudes to adopt. Oh, nice. Now I have to ask what, uh, what led to the name Morpheus? It's, um, it's kind of a triple reference. Um, uh-huh. So th- there's the Matrix, right? So I was going to oh, ask. Lawrence Fishburne <laughs> in the Matrix is, is uh-huh. Morpheus. He kind of, you know, um, wakes Neo up to, 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 to the realities of the world. Before yeah. the Matrix, um, there was also Neil Gaiman's Sandman books, which um, oh. I, I, I've, I've read. Well, they're graphic novels, actually, but um, his storytelling is just excellent. Um, and before the Sandman books, um, Morpheus originally was the Greek god of dreams. And ah. about 20 years ago, when I first started getting into hypnotherapy, um, I was thinking about using the, the name Morpheus because I kind of saw myself as like someone who's guiding people through a dream world. But my yeah. views on hypnosis have actually updated since then, where I, like I said earlier, I want to ground people in reassuring truths. It's actually much yeah. more helpful to ground someone in the truths they can see with their eyes open than to put people through a dreamlike fantasy that vanishes when they open their eyes. So yeah, yeah that's where the name comes from. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So now your final piece of advice for our listeners. Yeah. Um, I would say to be a lifelong learner in any way that you can, you have the capacity to be a lifelong learner. As a human being, you have the biggest brain relative to your body size among all land mammals. Um, you have the capacity to change and adapt your worldview and your self-image and the way you see the world throughout a lifetime. It's not just work skills or work knowledge that um, you can learn. Uh, over the years. It's also how you might treat yourself or what constitutes higher quality thinking. I would say adapt to your current realities, especially the good ones. Do not neglect the good realities in your life today. One day they might not be there. They're worth appreciating and acknowledging while they're there. Listen to good ideas when you hear them, wherever you hear them. Again, they they don't just come from hypnotists. Most do not come from hypnotists. So listen to good ideas when you hear them. Relinquish all the unchosen ideas to the contrary. You have an adult conscience. So if you believe that we should uphold universal human worth and dignity, it means you can't keep the double standards for yourself. So the double standards you probably picked up when you were a child before you had an adult conscience. Um, But if with your adult conscience, you'd rather have a single standard for how you treat people, including yourself, then you can, well, you'll have to relinquish unchosen ideas to the contrary. And remember to include yourself among people who count. Oh, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Luke. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. To learn more about Luke, visit his website at morpheusclinic.com. Interested in expanding your employee development program? Visit ChristinaEans.com to look at the many workshops Christina has available for you.